Hello, and welcome to, or back, to Displaced Underdogs, little corner of the internet where random and displaced discussions happen. This episode is co-hosted, which is why it's a long one. I'm not gonna lie, super long. There's already an introduction, but, and it's, it's very awesome. It's very, very amazing. Um, but yes, I thought I would just pop on and and just say, hey guys, welcome. Do the the intro you all know and love so much, I can tell. Um, and just kind of give you a little disclaimer that uh, co-host, which is amazing. I'm so excited. Very happy. I love whenever I get to, to actually talk with someone else and again just see where where it goes but um it is a long one so fair warning it's amazing you should listen lots of nuggets lots of amazing little nuggets and and big nuggets and just kind of some ideas and brain things that tip things on their head if you will so i hope you all enjoy and if you stick through to the end, you are an amazing human being because this is just part one. <laughs> that's right, guys. It's like two hours long and that's just part one. And it cuts us off like midway through. Not even kidding you. There is a second part. And if if you make it through this one, it's all worth listening to. It is all amazingly worth listening to. I promise you, and of course, of course, I say this and y'all are thinking to yourselves like, yeah, of course you're saying this because it's your podcast and of course you guys want us to listen. Promise you, I haven't really monetized any of my, any of my more recent podcast episodes just because I know that I can get long winded and I just don't want to add more and just have that annoyance, which some people are like, oh, you should, you should definitely monetize. And I'm like, yeah maybe this is definitely not one of them so other than this intro and maybe some of the fun jazzy music uh really just have fun that's all it is like that's that's what this is about that's why it's displaced underdogs that's why we're duds because they're displaced and random conversations and they are so fun especially when you have random conversations with friends so um hope you all enjoy and again if you make it to the end you you are an amazing amazing human being so yes i i hearts you long time <laughs> all right so sit back relax plug in and enjoy Underdogs. I am your host Morgan, and we have a co-host today. 
Would you like to introduce yourself? Because I'm horrible at this game. That, that works. That works. That sounded very practiced. I thought it was a recording for a second. I'm Robert. And uh, yeah, that's I. Oh, introduce, that's, that's like the whole thing. There we go. I'm figuring it out. I'm still new to this. So am I. I'm, I'm a noob and it's okay. It's fine. There we go. Uh, strike that. Do over. Uh, everybody forget. Just mind wipe yourselves and we'll continue as though nothing had happened. Hi, Morgan. I'm, hi, everybody. I'm Robert Bordelon Pearson. I run a YouTube channel and a bunch of other stuff called Follow the Leader. I've got a podcast and a bunch of other random things. And recently, I wrote a book called Blue Collar Blind Spot that I'm, I'm shamelessly promoting everywhere I can possibly figure out how to do it, which I'm also really bad at. So we'll figure it out, though. God is good. Yes. Yes, he is. And by the way, shameless plugging is completely fine. I have no problems with shameless plugging because this book sounds super fascinating. I have not read it yet. I'm Ooh. terrible. I'm, I'm, I'm a bit of a weird person because the book is less than 100 pages long. And there are four appendices. Um, I, I think it's a record for the shortest book with the most number of appendices. That's impressive. But that is just also, I research a lot of things to death. And so when there's a bunch of appendices, that, that just like citing sources and everything, correct? Uh, yes. Well, see, the issue is, I guess we can, yeah, if we just want to like dive into what the book is, is about, um, I think evangelical media is overlooking blue collar as, as like a demographic unintentionally, just because pastors skew white collar pretty hard, especially in affluent urban areas, which are the ones that get all the books and all the um, radio shows and stuff. It's just a function of, of what's happening, but nobody's studying it but me. So I had to make my own data points. So I had a, an entire chapter spent parsing two chapters. I parse Pew Research uh, data myself and because uh, they, they put all their data up. So I was able to kind of slice it the way that I wanted to be able to show what I was doing. And I also did a survey of um, Christian books that were bestseller Amazon lists. Uh, there were, I did a survey of 370 some books. I don't have the numbers in front of me right now. Uh, my stack of books is misplaced. <laughs> no, that's fine. I'm, my mind is still blown. I'm just yeah. saying, like. <laughs> so anyway, anyway, all that to say, there are original data points. So the footnote is the appendix itself. Um, so. That's impressive. Thank you. Where, where's yeah. it? Where, where, here we go. Here we go. I'm looking at it now. Ah, there we go. 379 individual books. Uh, but there were only like 320 something authors because there was a lot of overlap. Uh, yeah, 325 total authors. Because, you know, like Joel Olstein and Joyce Myers and Tony Evans, man, they can crank out the books. Uh, and there was, so there were overlap. Uh, that was actually eight. I cross referenced eight Amazon top 100 seller lists for Christian nuance genres. And then use the search and side feature to um, search. And I came up with five um, words for each kind of uh, reference, five white color words and five blue color words. Cause I, I've got no baseline for it. I'm having to make my own data points. 
Um, but yeah, and yeah, I use no, footnotes instead of end notes for the book because like I make some claims in here. So I just want you to let want people to know that no, I I dug this up proper like and I'm not just complaining <laughs> and it's not just feelings. It is actual, as Ben Shapiro would say, facts don't care about feelings, but they can support some of the feelings, which that's just my little adage onto that. It's, it's so frustrating, too, because facts don't really move people. Feelings move people. That's why they're emotions. They, um, they drive motion and, and motives. And it's, uh, it's an interesting overlap. So I'm very much a yeah. thought and, and facts person. Which, which, speaking of that overlap, is part of, because um, we talked a little bit about this earlier today, <clears throat> um, feelings are what move people, and that's one of the things that, um, that you bring up, and that the, the blue-collar blind spot, and it's really prevalent in church, but it's also very prevalent in our culture, period, of all walks of life. Everybody yeah. looks to, like, the white-collar... Yes. Look at the uh, the current uh, climate of, uh, you know, essential versus non-essential workers and the whole work from home movement. You know, nobody who holds a screwdriver for a living can work from home. It's impossible. Um, mm -hmm. Somehow I wound up on a Gallup uh, emailing list. So I randomly get Gallup surveys and they had a, like a big work from home survey, uh, a couple of them that come through. None of the questions were worded in such a way to even make allowance that I couldn't work from home. They, it didn't even register it. Whoever wrote the questions, it never entered their mind that somebody's career could preclude remote working. Um, at work, we, uh, I'm an electrician by trade. So I spend my day by day electrician. Um, <laughs> we, we joke about like duct taping a screwdriver to an RC car and you're like, I'll telecommute, put a webcam and a screwdriver on an RC car. We'll figure it out. <clears throat> right. And, somehow managed to make like a pup pad for that RC car, like Rocky. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how we're getting it up a ladder, but we'll, you know, one, one step at a time. Yeah, well, somebody's good at robotics because electricians and, and smart logistical friends, you know, eventually someone will figure, no, no. There's, I, that is, I, I have trouble figuring that, like, Boston Dynamics makes they're like, look, we built one that can get fall down and then get back up. Yeah, a three year old can do that. Can you can you drag a, a fifteen pound sixty amp disconnect up into the ceiling and run a hammer drill real quick and mount that in any way that it's going to fit because it's got to go next to a, an HVAC unit that's been there for twenty years? Um, no, uh, no, no, it can't. I'm sorry. We're not being replaced by robots anytime soon. Mr. Musk, just take a seat. Walmart, man, when I was working at Walmart, like when they came out with that robot that could actually stock the shelves, run the um, numbers and, and put in like what we were low on and stuff. It was just like, everyone was freaking out and we got a new automated line at our store. Um, and everyone on cap team two, the unloading crew was just like freaked out. We're being replaced. And yet tell you what, tell you what she, uh, she broke down several times to where we had to pull the old line in and she still breaks down for like days, days, not yeah. hours, days. Well, yeah. So, yeah. Cause there's like, 
there's like one shop in like the middle of California somewhere and they got to send their technician out to you. And he's going to like fly out. He's going to come out of his hotel room and spend four hours poking at it and say, I need to order a part and then fly back and you won't see him for a month. That's just how it goes. It's, it's the dumbest thing in the world. It's never going to happen. Um, now the vending machine style Walmart, uh, McDonald's, that, that started to happen. And then at least in my area, the Chick-fil-A started kicking their butt. Next thing you know, McDonald's has kids outside at that uh, drive through window, just like Chick-fil-A does. Um, they're not replacing people with robots. But anyway, that's, that's the whole blue-collar blind spot, though, is basically the church is starting to do that extra bad. And there's a huge um, opportunity because when I was slicing the numbers, I started to notice, um, I think we're set up for a blue-collar boom um, here in the next, like, five years. Now, this was all before the corona baloney happened. Um, and I don't yeah. know how it's going to affect the statistics and stuff. It'll take, I don't know, probably another six months for them to even collect them and another six or eight months for them to get parsed in any meaningful way. So, um, but it looked the way everything started to bounce back pretty fast uh, after the first wave of uh, lockdowns. It's not a quarantine. Quarantines are for sick people. Um, it was, uh, it, it started to bounce back. So I'm assuming my numbers will hold. So I just, Figured releasing the book rather than revising half of the book was a good idea. But yeah, there's um there's yeah. a dearth of blue collar workers because more people are seeing how useless college is, and because yeah. um, all the baby boomer blue collar guys are retiring, and they're going to retire at a rate that they're not being replaced. And immigration isn't currently enough to replace them, and so. Nope that's going to have to come from uh, Gen Gen Z or millennials. Um, Gen Z is increasingly choosing not to go to college and then millennials are uh, starting to do career transitions towards the blue collar. And uh, as far yep, they're as far starting. Good. Sorry. The oh no. Like, there's, yeah, there's, um, there's a lot of millennials that are starting to do that career shift and where they're, getting into trades because they all went to college for the same thing, racked up all those student loan debts. And like you said, all the baby boomers are now starting to retire at astronomical rates. Yeah. When well, they're... Go ahead. Sorry. Oh, I, I was sorry. The, this a slight lag that makes it easier for us to walk on each other. Um, I, yeah. I was just saying the, um, they're, they're, Oh, my brain just lost the thought because I was apologizing for the other thought. Um, <laughs> that's awesome. It happens. It happens. Well, you know, the baby boomers are retiring and they aren't. Um, oh, right. The, the white, they flooded the market. That's what I was saying. The, the white collar workers flooded the white collar market. So they have lower wages and college debt going into it. When, when you yep. look at a blue collar trade, it makes more financial sense in the long run because I spend four years getting paid to learn getting paid as much or more than sometimes that guy come gets paid coming right out of college. Cause a lot of them come out of college into an unpaid internship. Whereas you can start yep. almost anywhere in the country for $15 an hour to start learning a trade. And inside of five years, you could be uh, potentially running your own business, depending on what state you're in and how quickly it takes to attain a master's license. Um, in, uh, in Virginia, I know that you can, 
get to a master's in five years, four years to a journeyman's. And then you have to have your journeyman for a year and then you can test for the master's, you know, assuming you can pass the test and, and cut mustard. So you've been paid to work for five years, starting at $15 an hour. By the time you get a journeyman's license, you're up to $30 an hour roundabout uh, on the low side. And then a master's license, you can start running your own business. Um, yep. So, which but that's unheard of in five years. They've, they've been out of college for a year and are still on their unpaid internship with a hundred thousand in debt. And five years into um, post-college, a lot of them are still just working the grind jobs before they can even get promoted to even low level mid-management. Versus the guy with the GED who went straight into a trade at 17 and can be have run his own business for five years by the age 28, probably. Um, and retired by the time he's like 40. Uh, uh, it, it depends. Depends on how savvy he yeah, is. Yeah. But yeah, there's um, there's a there's a business that you can look up on the Internet called Michaels and Son. Uh, dark blue branding. I forget what you just Google Michaels and Son, Northern Virginia. Um, they were started by an immigrant who came here with like nothing a generation ago. So he's into like his seventies or eighties, his kids run it now and they're all over the place. They're a multi-million dollar um, contractor, like a full service. Uh, they have service trucks everywhere and they do some construction stuff. Uh, it's if you're ambitious and you know, God favors you and uh, you, you have the skill for it. Yeah. You can, you can do very well on um, blue collar trades, even if it's just you and a truck and you don't build something giant. Uh, if you find the right dentist neighborhood and you do quality work, you can easily pull 60, 70, 80 grand a year. Um, you know, if you yeah. keep your customers happy and you have the right, you know, pricing structure and stuff and you budget well, uh, that's just you. And, and that's also, and also blue collar jobs where you don't even necessarily have to learn a trade. Um, I don't, if you search Missouri star quilting company, this woman, like in her, in her forties, fifties, she, she just, they, they spent their last dollar on a long arm quilting machine. Um, Cause she always, she always loved quilting and she wanted a long arm quilting machine. And their story is, is amazing because here she is a stay at home mom, a stay at home wife with a family I think of like four or five kids. I could be getting it wrong because I don't have and this all pulled up, but I do. I follow her on YouTube and everything, but she basically bought this long arm sewing machine, rented out this building, her town in a little small town in Missouri and somehow managed to start posting videos on YouTube and started getting a following and just from her love of quilting and just perfecting that over the years and then making her kids clothes and everything and then turned the entire town around and it saved not only her and her family from financial ruin but also the town and it breathed me yeah and it and she doesn't she even said i don't have a college degree i don't have a college education i was just some mom slash grandma that really liked quilting and had this skill people like to learn this stuff and and you're starting to see that more and more too 
there's um, and it, the market for for the old ways of doing things and just manual skills um in the the blue collar arena too like there's a handful of guys that i've worked with that came from like white collar from engineering stuff um mm-hmm. there because it's it's just active They're, they don't like sitting behind desks um i mean i gotta wake up at three in the morning to be at work by five but i get to see the sunrise every day and uh you know get exercise, climbing ladders, running up and down um, stairs, carrying heavy stuff. And then at the end of the day, I'm, I'm off of work at one. I can be home by two or three most days. And have like the afternoon, the rest of the day. Yep. To, you, you still have your day. So, yeah. And that's, and that's kind of the cool thing too about um, blue collar work is that, depending on what your trade is and depending on what the contract, when you're going through the process, when you're starting out as an apprentice and a journeyman, depending on the contracts, you can also, yes, some of the hours are a little, what we now consider unorthodox, but they also allow you to kind of come up with your own schedule um, because all these projects, there's always something that needs to be done and they have yeah, but if you're doing service work, uh, a lot of people, it'd be a weekend or an evening while they're home that you can come by and fix stuff. Uh, or um, depending on the the niche, too, because there are hundreds of things you don't even think about till you're in a trade. I just know electrical. Um, there's a whole uh, industry in most areas. There'll be a small market for changing out the light bulbs in parking lot lights. And that'll be like yeah. all an electric company does is they have a couple of trucks with the buckets on the back and they just change out light bulbs or troubleshoot when stuff breaks. Uh, in this area, I found a, um, I, I ran into him cause I was, uh, going late night in, uh, in the Walmart out here. And I, I bumped into some guys who were taking a two man lift, a two man scissor lift to the back of the Walmart. And I, I just got to ask him, like, what are you guys up to? What are you doing? They were putting in some new electrical work in the, the lighting in the Walmart. And that's, that's like 90% of their electrical company's business is grocery stores and Walmarts. They come in overnight when there are fewer people there for the 24 hour stores or, you know, like no one for a CVS or something. And they, you know, put new light bulbs in or they troubleshoot it or tear old stuff out or put new stuff up. Like when they move the displays around, you know, they need electrical outlets that got to drop down from the ceiling. Yep. And uh, that's, that's like all they do is overnight shifts as an electrician specializing in grocery store lighting and um, display rearranging. Um, my fiance is um, going through welding right now. And, and one of the really interesting niches in welding is underwater welding. That is, that's actually quite dangerous, but also very lucrative. And a lot of people, yeah. And a lot of people don't even think about it. And actually um, your wife and I have a friend from high school who got her diver's license and started her own company um, where she would, she lived on a houseboat and, um, and uh, at the Marina and just diving to remove um, barnacles and stuff off of boats. She was actually That's doing cool. fairly well for herself. Right. And it's- I, yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Stuff, stuff you don't think about. 
Um, and it's yeah. just fascinating too, because the, um, the, the thought exercise to, to kind of get the idea of how important blue collar things are. Well, we're using blue collar pretty loosely right now too. I think the new yeah. rhetoric, the news is trying to force on us is working class, but that's because they're a bunch of socialists. Um, the, uh, if you, if you take a minute and think about what the world would be like, if you took every lawyer, every politician, this is the same thing. Um, if you took every circuit court judge, um, every Hollywood celebrity, every news personality you see, and they didn't show up to their job for a month, what would happen? Actually, you know what? The Every world might actually be a better place. Now, do yeah. the same. Uh, it, worst case scenario, life would go on. We'd just wait a month for some court hearings or, you know, we just have to, like, deal with talking to our neighbor to figure out what's going on in the world. Um, yeah. And, and to figure out and, and solve our own little quarrels and disputes, actually. <laughs> I mean, weird how that would. Yeah. yeah. Just figure it out. I mean, it's just a month. Now do the same thing for sewage plant workers, garbage men, plumbers, you know, Electrician. the people, electricians, the linemen. The, see, I, I do the little like Nancy work of the wiring and the plugs and stuff inside the house. Like the, the real men in electrical work are on those bucket trucks playing around with the transformers at 10,000 volts. They're, yeah. they're out at the substations you don't even know about where your high voltage alternating current gets transferred over to direct current to then get transferred back into to, um, alternating current later on. That's something about the way it's easier to transfer in DC for, for certain distances or something. I don't understand it because I'm not cool enough. Um, so these guys are dealing with like tens of thousands of volts. Anything blows up out in the middle of the woods, they got to go find it and, uh, and fix it. Or they're out at the power plant. Like those guys don't show up for a month. Figure it out. Um, oh, especially during storm season, like when we have, I, I know here in Indiana, whenever we have storms and stuff and, and that one of those substations goes, you'll have a whole neighborhood out of electricity. If, they, if those guys don't show up, even for a week, you'll, you'll have whole neighborhoods, entire, entire swaths of towns and cities just unable to do anything. Yeah. Now take a minute and think about the discrepancy in pay. <laughs> right. Can't live no, without I mean, them. Lowest pay. Well, some of the linemen, they, they get, some, that's where the good money comes in is, is uh, the linemen, but nothing compared to a, somebody who sits on TV and tries to agitate you emotionally. So you sit through commercials. Um, anyway, it's, that's the mental exercise. I like to just kind of bring like to really feel how important blue collar trades are. Um, uh, you want to sit there and say all workers are essential. No, they're not. Um, but like, I understand they serve a purpose. It's just their, their, their loss in society is less immediate. You're not going to feel it as immediately. Um, though the, the repercussions, like you were saying, would, would affect eventually as far as different disputes over borders and people doing whatever they want. So if you, I mean, yeah. there's a reason we have certain institutions. Yeah. And I mean, and it's also funny how in modern day society, too, because of all these politicians and and social media outlets or not even social media, but media outlets yeah. completely 
like blue collar work. Who wants to be a garbage man? Man, there are some, there are some garbage men. There are some sewer workers um, that are, are killing it. They are killing it when it comes to um, their Absolutely. pay and take home. And my, uh, my dad used to work uh, furniture repair. He did warranty service. So he would, uh, if you, if you pay that little extra money that, that got you money leaving the furniture store, he would come out to your house and fix your furniture within a certain you know period of time. And uh, mm-hmm. he wound up fixing furniture for this guy and he, he just, you know, make, make time, talk with him and stuff. And the guy uh, had a huge spread, really nice house out in the, the woods somewhere. I think we lived in Alaska at the time. And he started asking the guy, like, how, how'd you make your money? Because the guy didn't behave like a lawyer or a doctor or anything. Uh, and he said, septic sucking. The, the dude got, he, he at some point scraped up enough money and paid like five or 10 grand for a, a septic pumping truck and just got into the business of emptying septic tanks. And it picked up. Next thing he knew, he was running three or four trucks and he was making some good money. Pumping sewage yes. for people. I, it's, it's everywhere, man. And it's, it's needed services. And, well, uh, you know. Go ahead, go ahead. Oh, no. What's, what's absolutely funny is um, I, I personally really, really, really love history. And one of my favorite time periods is the Industrial Revolution, the um, 19th century, Victorian, everything everything so we were talking earlier again um and i was telling you about how i was watching this show with my oldest child and about the modern uh, like from medieval kitchens to victorian kitchens to modern kitchens and just in talking about kitchens because this was a whole series on the evolution of homes and they started with you have to start with the kitchen because medieval kitchens or medieval homes were only one bedroom and the kitchen was always the hearth and heart of of lower society homes all throughout history homes yeah right like the amazing homes where people were where you cared about your family and stuff anyways um the victorian though everything everything was was their garbage and everything i mean you want to talk about people want to talk about saving the planet everything in a victorian home was was somehow you could either reuse it or get paid to you could sell it too that's how trash companies actually started was they would come by and they would sell you or they would buy your trash and if you were smart like so like when it came to apple peels and and unusable parts of produce they would put it in a bucket like the the lower middle class families would put it in a bucket and if you were really if you were really smart victorian wife that was in charge of like the kitchen and all of that um because when you Anyways, just on this vein alone, we'll, we'll just stick with this. You, that's where hogwash comes into play. Um, this is actually where that word hogwash comes from because you would, take, you would take all the bits, all the unusable bits, and instead of 
like they didn't compost they would what they would do is they would throw like apple cores peelings and and seeds and pits and everything in a wash bucket and then they would sell it and that was money everything was money everything even even um surprisingly dog poop when you were cleaning the streets street cleaning dog poop was literally separated and sifted out of the horse manure horse manure would then get sold to be turned into fertilizer while dog poop got sold to um to tanners and 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 mercantiles because well i mean because they they had to use natural dyes and stuff and and surprisingly there's the chemical composition how they knew this too is is absolutely like we think it's gross and everything but it's actually really really fascinating like also i was i'm just confused like what was the first guy who did that the, the first tanner they must have thought he was insane like i'm gonna smear dog poop on it and see what happens right? jeff you're an idiot <laughs> right <laughs> that's crazy you know, well okay what's even crazier laundry what is one ingredient that you would not even think of as a main as a main like one thing that speaking of waste and everything everything had value everything down to if you it, it's absolutely insane where there was if there if you could think about it there was a niche there was a job like like servants got fired maids scullery maids got fired and let go if they decided to keep um the peels and stuff for themselves because that could be sold for that could be sold to pig farmers for pig food which hogwash because you give it to the hogs and it's put in the wash bucket. That's still crazy. Like I, I'd rather be homesteading. I couldn't. Victorian city life sounds awful. It's well, well in the 1700s in 18th century, 1700s, one of the main ingredients in laundry, especially for bleaching and getting your white, super white, you would just keep your urine out of the the chicken pots and you would let it sit for two weeks two to three weeks out in the sun because it turns into ammonia because it turns into yep and it is gross but it is oh that's so gross but that's yeah (laughs) but by that time it's yeah but by that time yeah, it's ammonia. That's so gross. I never even thought about that. That's yeah. It's oh it was God. the main ingredient in in laundry. I can never look at Windex the same way again. <laughs> the, the blue urinal right. case. Like, where does Windex really come from? <laughs> right. Well, now now we now we know how to chemically make it, and it is yeah, not I made. At least I, yeah, I hope so. I think, yeah, no, that actually does bring up an interesting, because it's just, but again, it's one of those things where laundresses made a kill, like these, these Victorian housewives and and these even 1700 women, uh, 
and and just guys too were just making a killing off of this stuff that the higher society was just like, yeah, this is gross. No, we don't want to do this. And yet, what's one man's trash is another man's treasure, which is also from the Victorian era. Well, that, that works at the at the scale of nations, too. Um, that's why our manufacturing has left America primarily is because we're like, oh, we don't want to do it. Let China do it. It's way cheaper that way. And China, like, yeah, you like, can just look at China's economy now. They're like, thanks, idiots. India, too. And they still yeah. have. So India, unlike China, isn't isn't a communist country, but they still have a caste system. They still have a cat. Yeah. I don't think it's officially enforced, but it's definitely like socially there still. Yes. Um, Yeah. It's not. The societal structures in place just through behavior and habits more than. um, Anyway. Yeah. It's that was the same thing. We do all our tech works, all the, they, they outsource all the call centers and and tech work and uh, their, their economy gets stronger and our, our populace then gets weaker for it because you have the, um, our, our wages now are having to compete with the wages of people in another country with a, an economy that isn't quite as strong or a dollar that's not quite as strong. And it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's taken its toll. Um, I, I still think there's, there's going to be a huge blue collar backlash just because it makes more sense for, um, for people that are um, trying to find their way out of, out of debt. And they're starting to look at some of the numbers on uh, how easy it is to run your own thing. Cause you know, for, uh, but at least for electricians, general numbers, an electrician on a construction site is usually uh, billed as a hundred dollars an hour. That's like all the overhead all told hundred dollars an hour um, is, is what that the superintendent gets told for all like a journeyman electrician on site. And that's, that's not what we see. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. No. A no. small and fraction everybody... of that winds up getting to the, uh, the electrician themselves. Um, 25 to 30 an hour is more likely, unless you're on like a big scale job, government contract, union labor, then you're looking at like 45, 50 an hour. Um, yeah, it's which, which my dad before he passed that's that's what he did for many many years was was government contracting yeah yeah so, if you were like pipe fitters and stuff for the big the big stuff that's where the the hourly wages kind of skyrocket um on the smaller yeah. scale though if you run your own thing you can you all of the stuff over goes into your pocket instead of the guy whose name is on the truck and that's that's sort of the um the the better that's it's the two paths for the for your your trade work you either um, specialize inside of a union or a, you know, a large company um, for control wiring, a uh, special kind of pipe fitting or something, and you go for the big industrial scale work or a, a large factory. Like I, I knew a guy who worked for at a semiconductor factory, uh, and it's got a lot of specialized fittings because in order to make silicon, there's a bunch of acidic gases everywhere. So you have special electrical fittings so your your wiring doesn't you know blow up or melt. Um, and it's yeah. your own kind of field that you can be good at and get highly paid to do versus the other route of more local service technicians. It, it favors a small van, which is one or two guys in the company doing like changing out people's um, light fixtures or ceiling fans and stuff, plugs and whatnot. Um, but it, the, the same, 
format. Generally, the plan works for uh, plumbers, for uh, heating and air conditioning guys. I don't know two ways to do it. If you're doing service work, you don't want to work for somebody else because all, all that extra money is going in their pocket, not yours. Yep. And then I know that um, some people will argue that, but of course, the, the manager and the person that owns the truck and owns the company, of course, they need any of that extra money. Of course, they need it for their overhead, for tools and, and contracts and bids and, and supplies. And it's like, but this is all from people, too, that haven't actually worked. Well, there's, there's still those- a profit margin, though. Um, so you like, yeah, the people at the shop keep us running by keeping things organized as far as, um, um, or ordering materials, um, keeping the vehicles in, in running order, um, mm-hmm. um, scheduling appointments, like the sales team, keeping jobs coming. Um, but when you, when you bring that into a smaller operation, you inherit those headaches, but then that 40% on top that usually goes to the company's bottom line, um, is now goes into your pocket for your bottom line. Um, yep. On a, on a smaller scale, but, but yeah, you, you inherit those headaches, but if you want the headache free route, you specialize through a union or through a large company um, and, and work yep. up that way, getting credentialed and getting more specialized for your controlling or your, you know, pipe fitting exclusively at, you know, the, the steam end of a nuclear power plant or something like you, you find your niche, um, yep. And uh, specialize in that way, just wherever you happen to wind up or whatever you have a knack for. Um, really, yeah, that's, it's, it's, uh, it's a powerful route that um, basically anybody can take. And yeah, you're looking at $15 an hour to start no, almost no matter where you're at. Um, yep. And some places, some like here in Indiana, we're on um, federal minimum wage, but I know back in Washington where I was born and raised, um, yeah, you're looking at more than $15 an hour starting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it all depends on, it all depends on where you're at. It's 110%. But, but, um, but you, you can, you won't be much far, you won't be much below 15, depending on where you're at. Sometimes it'll be 13 if you're, you know, young kid doesn't know anything out of uh, high school. Uh, but if you prove yourself quickly, you can easily get up over 15. But once again, this is, money in your pocket as opposed to at college, which is money out of your pocket before you know what compound interest is. Um, here, don't think about it, play Xbox and, uh, you know, cram your finals. Right. <laughs> yep. And that's, and also where we see it too, because a lot of people, for some reason, um, I was originally doing um, caregiving and Medaid, um, Medaid. I was, I did seven years in the medical industry and especially with the Corona baloney going on. I love how they're like, well, we have a nursing shortage and nursing fatigue and, and medical fatigue. We've always had since two, <laughs> since before 2005, when I graduated yeah. high school, Yeah, I've, we've I've always had a, a couple nurse- of nurses and they've, they've been at my church and stuff. They're always exhausted. They're always overworked. I knew a lady who worked at the cafeteria. Yeah. She worked in the um, the kitchen at her hospital, and they were overworked. Like even the kitchen staff, yeah. understaffed and overworked, running twelve hour shifts back to back to back. Yeah, and and part of that is um, so it is you are hard pressed to find and find in this country. You are very there's there's a few factors that have led to this. The nursing just for basic nursing rn just for basic rn 
every program is that in college and now um, and now you have to go to college because there used to be a time even even in the 90s there used to be a time where you could get like a front desk position where you're like at the ER, the ER and you're just taking people's information and you're just and you and you've got somebody there teaching you and then you um you start off even doing um housekeeping like cleaning the rooms and stuff janitorial work you could start off getting a job at the hospital and then they a lot of hospitals were county ran county owned or state ran and state owned and so like in 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 the on the one hand i understand why it's no longer done that way because so then, so then that would build or bridge towards like a nursing apprenticeship almost yes exactly exactly because then you then you have your foot in the door at the hospital and as long as you prove yourself you show up every day and and you prove Looks that you're yeah <clears throat> yeah that you're ambitious and that well, you're and you, attention. You, yeah because you that that's the way it works yeah. as in the trades man you you show up you sweep the floor they're like hey carry that heavy junk i don't want to carry thanks new guy um here hold this yeah, heavy exactly. thing and then the you watch the old fart do all the the hard complicated the the complicated difficult stuff and eventually and you, you find questions. something yeah eventually you find something you can't mess up too bad and he's like all right let's see what you can do and it, it goes that's on from there well i've seen i've seen nurses that know is occasionally it's not every nurse i mean there's some nurses that are, are lousy yeah. it's every it's like everywhere though everybody sucks there's people suck welcome to humanity um everybody yeah. sucks uh, exactly. so, that's yeah. how i feel <laughs> That's what it's, I say. it's a part of the package. It's a part of the package, guys. Genesis chapter three. Read it again. Um, he goes. The to, there are nurses. Part. There are nurses that'll straight up know as much or more than a doctor, just because they've been around. They've seen it all. Um, I mean, there's only so many times you can diagnose some common things. They can look at you and go, "Oh yeah, you've got X, Y, Z. All right." And then she'll wait, and the doctor has to come in, look at you, and go, "Oh yeah, you have X, Y, Z." And you're like, "Yeah, the nurse knew that two hours ago, but." You know, we need, we need you with the special papers to come in and magically approve it to be correct. Because, you know, Mabel over there, who's, you know, been at this longer than you or I have been put to live, put together, Doc, uh, have been alive. Um, she's been yeah. at this far longer. So we, it's fine, though. We'll, we'll play along. <laughs> Mabel well, it's funny. Yeah, it, well, it's funny because um, when I was going through what I call a Cracker Jack college, because they were the colleges that you saw um on tv advertised and stuff <laughs> so i call them the cracker jack colleges because for even now colleges are not equal um community no. colleges are seen are are seen in a better light than like phoenix of uni uh, phoenix of uni um university of phoenix or, oh, yeah, or what, online, yeah. yeah then these Thank online God. colleges so i was going to carrington for um medical assisting and um and when we were going through medical terminology and um and then the shorthand um that you do to take the notes the doctors oh, you just had learn, you had to learn like legit shorthand or was it like special medical shorthand for the um for the special diagnosis? medical special medical um shorthand so with to abbreviate with 
W-I-T-H. It's a lowercase C with a line over the top of it. And I still use it whenever I'm writing quickly, my notes quickly. I still use some of this medical shorthand. And my fiance all the time is like, what what is this? I was like, really? Are you you having a stroke? What are you doing on the paper? (laughs) Right? There's... And I was like, really, babe, you were a combat, you, you were a combat medic in the army and you, you should have learned. And he's like, that means, that means he knows how to reload while applying a tourniquet. That's a, a completely different skill set. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's a little more specialized than that, but yeah, pretty much. I mean, and he even goes, yeah, it's a, it's a little different. Army, army is different than civilian, but it was funny because while we were going through this, it was very, very, very important that we learned all this terminology and this shorthand because our teacher at Carrington was an actual nurse and was, was a professor and she did the night classes, but during the day she would be working at the hospital and she's like, trust me, you're going to want to do this because if you don't do this and the doctors, you, you basically take all the notes and all the doctor does is look over it. You're the one that is taking the symptoms, the signs, the symptoms, you can't diagnose because that's beyond your scope of practice, but you're the one that writes the notes. The doctor doesn't even really come in, look at the patient until they read the notes. And then, and then they come in, they might do a little of this, a little of that. And then basically, even though you can diagnose it far faster than, and it's true because when I was a med aide, I worked, um, at an assisted living facility and I was the the pill popper and the pill pusher for 500 residents and yeah and I I at least had the ability and the authority to send people to the hospital and there were a few times that I sent people early because you get to know your residents you're there day in day out you're in the trenches yeah yeah but it's way better way better when you have daily contact with with folks because then you know what normal cognitive function is or isn't or normal energy levels or behavior yep um, and there was i had this one resident she was listing she was listing to the left in her little, little motorized wheelchair and i was like you yeah, know no 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 nope mm-mm. been been doing this for two years at at only 22 years old been doing that for two years and was like well technically a med aid for two years but caregiving since i was 18 so uh, okay. what so what 18 19 20 21 20 about well, five years of experience you're, you're in that world that knowledge just rubs off on you i worked as a corrections officer for a couple of years and i was the utility officer so i did a little bit of everything and i wound yep. up having to relieve a guy um whenever prisoners go out to the hospital they um they got to have an escort with them and stuff in our um, because of where we were at the prison wasn't like so hardcore lockdown we were in the middle of the road place but all the people that were going out were the uh, the long timers who had a lot of medical problems and then some of them just wind up not making it um so i was relieving a guy who had spent a ton of time in the icu uh, basically watching really old prisoners kind of live out the last of their days and uh, yeah. he was he had that great very humor about it but he he got to the point where he was talking with the um um he he had been um he had, had already got to the point when i was uh, running into him that he he knew all of the the terminology for the the posturing and stuff and um he yep. saw the guy he's like yeah this guy didn't have much longer and the the <laughs> he was 
in in doctor lingo back and forth with the nurse talking about what was going on with the guy and i was like i i i know how to put handcuffs on i don't <laughs> i don't know any of this yeah <laughs> it's my job to sit here for the rest of the shift till somebody else comes out to relieve me so um all right or this we get the the <laughs> but yeah he, just, he knows it or the um, family members that'll have the one that's the most frustrating is when the family member knows medical stuff and that because they they will have like been with their family member through cancer treatment or something and so they know what something is and then the doctor who's some like new doctor they had to go to a different specialist and they're telling the doctor this is what the problem is this is how it's been diagnosed because that family member's been in the room for like 35 doctor's appointments with 10 different doctors um they know exactly what the problems and symptoms are and the do- the other doctor's like well well you know, i'll run some tests so we'll see <laughs> and i think i know no like and that's actually similar things yeah but that's that's actually funny that you mentioned that because um having three kids and and like when and me having that medical experience and um and and my fiance being a combat medic and having his medical experience I mean, when he was going through the EMT paramedic um, classes at the at the college here where we live, his they they briefly touched on tubal de- chest decompression, and his um, his professor had been a paramedic for years, years, and and she was like, "You'll never have to do this." And it's like he just kind of raised his hand and he's like, "I've already done like." 20 of those what <laughs> wait what yeah no we've I've done it successfully and I can I can show you how and I can already tell you that your technique's a little I'm not trying to call you out I'm trying to be totally respectful here but but your technique's a little off and and you shouldn't do it like that <laughs> here let me show you <laughs> and she was like yeah sure come on she was a really cool professor she was like That's totally cool. awesome Usually but, military stuff lets you test out and not have to sit through the boring class for those kind of things. Ooh, not army. Only uh, Navy. Um, Navy Corpsman. Yes. Navy Corpsman, that's a different beast, but but it is not it is not the same. It is not equal throughout the branches, which is that's, totally that's garbage. A, yeah. yeah. I, there's a there's a marine insult in there somewhere, but I'm not I don't have a dog in that fight. <laughs> Yeah, but it's but it's funny though because talking about the medical and stuff. Um, so so now nowadays you're hard pressed to find state ran or county ran um, hospitals, and so with the nursing shortage, because a lot of them have actually kind of become corporatized. A lot of them are Franciscan. They're owned by the Franciscan Hospital Family Group. Now oh, throughout the entire country and and they've and the medical and anybody that that wants to argue this I will I will gladly sit down and have a discussion but having worked in it I worked in a small little town on the Oregon coast with a private owned facility that got because the the owners of the facility were aging themselves and getting up there and wanting to retire they sold our nursing home to a corporation that owned 500 along the West coast and was just eating them up like Skittles. 
Also, nursing homes have a very interesting start because the first nursing home in the U.S., by the way, was ran by a murderess, one of the first female serial killers in the U.S. Yeah, it had a really dark... Like an old lace kind of thing or like that guy that built his own hotel? Uh, so, so, so back, again, in the 1800s, um, what insurance was kind of a new... Yeah, right. Um, It was when tuberculosis was a big thing. And it was that whole health craze of if you had TB, get out of the city and go to the country. And she her husband had died, not because she had killed him. He had died of like just natural or whatever causes. So she had this huge house. She had this huge house and this rich family from, I think, New York had come out to the country and she was kind of like running a bed and breakfast at the time and, or an inn or it, they lodged there. It was fresh country air and their, and their elderly father who had tuberculosis, the doctors had said him being out in the fresh air and away from the city and the smells, the smog, the disgustingness, this was much better for his health. And so she took him in got real close with him and built a rapport, built a relationship and could get, even though she was not a family member, she could get on the insurance. And so he signed over some of half of his insurance to her, like his life insurance and whatnot, and signed her on as one of the beneficiaries. And, and then she got tired of taking care of him. She did this to several different folks over the course of like five to six years, I believe. That's so crazy. Arsenic. The nursing homes are so messed up right now. They uh, they had dark beginnings, man. Dark beginnings, and a lot of people. No, a lot of people don't even know this. It's great. It's I was into true crime before becoming a correctional officer myself, and then. Now it just sits a little weird with me, not going to lie. It's not ruined, but it's definitely like, even the shows on the true crime, I want to see a true crime show where they actually talk to the correctional officers that took care of Ted Bundy day in, day out, because they know, they knew exactly how that man was, because they got to see him at his worst, at his best and his worst. So there's... And that right there, too, little to no appreciation. You want to talk about blue collar and stuff? Little to no appreciation for the people that keep your monsters locked up and have to deal with those monsters day in, day out. Just yeah, for the um, for the book, I do include um, law enforcement, military and corrections in my the blue collar umbrella because oh. it's the same mindset. Like I'm having gone from corrections to the, the construction mm-hmm. site, it's 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 a very similar mindset enlisted any enlisted military it's all uh, it's a lot of overlap there's some of the job nuances there but the the gallows humor i mean uh, as an electrician uh the, the other trades aren't quite as dire but as an electrician even with low voltage stuff yeah you could you could die even with 120 oh. falling off a six-foot ladder onto a concrete floor yeah um, it's it, possible to die and we do a lot of silly dumb things just because it's required to get the job done sometimes nobody tells um 
<laughs> it's it's just what's required. Like you're never supposed to work hot, but it's hard to find a day that you know stuff doesn't that, happen. Um, okay, and you just, you just make sure you do it right. Yeah, yeah. There's there's no room for error. There's no margin for error in in some of these jobs. There's really not. And yeah. people, and I don't think a lot of people actually really appreciate that, especially like what we've seen socially in this country over this last summer with some of the social unrest. Um, it's like you really, yeah. don't, you really don't understand until you've done it. Well, why should I do it? Because there's other people that will, but you're telling people that they shouldn't do that. And that, okay. Circular yeah. argument. No. I'm not going to, not going to play. Nothing, but, nothing good comes from the, uh, Oh, that's for other people. Like when you look at any kind of field of work, oh, that's for other people. And that's um, and so like I know and appreciate that work is hard out there that I don't like. I mean, somebody has to sit at a desk and do data entry for eight hours. I would rather spend twelve hours in a coal mine. Just full honesty, um, I'm not I'm not fit for that. Um, but there are people that can manage it and could not handle physical labor, and I. I both careers, I mean, we're not denigrating white collar. Those careers exist for a reason. Um, yeah, no. It's just, uh, the disrespect that blue collar gets, you got to understand the immediacy with which you would need them. Yes. Um, there's a, in the, in the book, I don't, I, I'm not able to reference it direct. I don't reference it directly, but there's a, um, there's an Elias, uh, A-E-L-I-U-S. Elias is a, a Greek, I think he's a Stoic philosopher. Um, uh, I, I, I come across him because he's dealing with the word tectone. I have an entire chapter in the book proving Jesus is a carpenter because I was so tired of that. You know, well, actually, he could have been a stonemason. It was more likely because the city of Zipporah, blah, blah, blah. Um, I, I spent a year parsing every single place the word tectone shows up in uh, the Septuagint, Josephus, and other contemporary Greek literary sources. Uh, no, it means a guy who works with wood with an axe nine times out of ten. And uh, the early church concurs. Justin Martyr was only born four years after the book of Revelation was penned uh, using the 96 AD uh, date. Um, so, yeah, the he says he puts Jesus in a carpenter shop working with wood. That's that's where it's at. Anyway, the um, so it, because of that, though, I came across Elias, I think is the name of the guy um, and his bit is he talks about how nobody appreciates the tectone the carpenter until yes. there's a siege then a guy who can really quickly build walls is everybody's best friend yep um and then as soon as the army goes away everybody starts hating on the tectone and the, the laborer and the work uh, we don't you know these blue collar guys and then you know bandits show up again and they're like hey, wouldn't it be nice if somebody could build a wall and like a fort really quickly Right. Oh, yeah. It's funny you say that. It's a shame that you uh, made fun of us. And well, it's so funny that you actually. Well, it's it's funny that you mentioned that because um, the Carthaginians and the Romans, the Carthaginians were the powerhouse at the time, and the only way and the only reason that the Romans even even stood a chance against them was. Literally one Carthage warship, one Carthage warship got separated 
and overtaken, got separated from the main fleet during a storm on the Mediterranean and got overtaken by the Romans. And, and everybody likes to downplay modular homes that, you know, that have connect, connect part A to part B. The, Carthage, the Carthaginians were really good at putting, at cranking out these warships super fast because their shipwrights and their carpenters basically did that. They, they numbered and lettered their every piece of the ship. Oh, brilliant. And you just Lego break the ship together and knock it out. Yeah. Yep. And the Romans couldn't figure it out at the time. They, they really could not. They could not figure it out until they got one of their ships and started deconstructing it. And then they had the master plans to everything and unlocked the key to take down Carthage. And that's so cool. And the, um, and they actually, the, the Roman army, Josephus mentions, this is some random like tidbit trivia overlap. One of the, the references, Josephus actually mentions a group of uh, tectones that were uh, following, they would, they would be attached to a military unit because um, that was how you would do field repairs or um, build uh, field buildings. Mo, uh, Josephus reference, he specifically says tool making. So they're, um, you know, making the hand- handles for, for weapons or any like um, tools or uh, hammers, axes or anything, any of the ancillary stuff. That was they, they would be specifically attached, almost like an engineering corps, to uh, um, to to a, a military unit of soldiers. That see, and that's amazing. And it's like, and and even road builders and bridge builders. Like speaking of that, I mean, they were those types. Those those folks that were in those trades were were instrumental to to World War Two, and how do we quickly build a bridge to get our forces over it and then destroy it so the enemies can't use it? <clears throat> and yet, and yet, when the war was done, oh, what are you, a ditch digger? <laughs> Dude, yeah. I dug... Even, um, what, I dug, what was the word for it? In, in medieval sieges, there were guys that would dig holes and uh, undermine the, the walls and fortifications. Yep. And it was like, uh, it was a noble trade. It had to be a skinny guy who would just burrow under the ground because um, it's some of the most dangerous work and, and yet some of the most important work and and yet and yet during peace times do you want to I don't know if you heard this growing up but I heard this a lot growing up because my grandparents all lived through the Great Depression what do you your greatest aspiration is what being a ditch digger pay attention in school go to college yeah. you don't have yeah. ditches for your the rest of your life dude there is work Man, I worked with a guy. I worked with a guy. No joke. He's an electrician. He's working on the outside of this school. Um, he, he was doing like some exterior lighting or something, re- rewiring it up. And uh, they had some problem student trying to escape from school. And like the dare cop and a teacher tackle this kid. And another teacher standing up over him. And he's over there, just got done wiring up this thing um, so they can have an outdoor light as he climbs down the ladder. And the teacher's like, you're throwing your future away. Do you want to be like him when you grow up? You need to stay in school. Go ahead and tell her. And he's just like, what? 
what? He <laughs> 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 threw his hands up and backed up, and he's like, I'm not, I'm not getting involved. No. Um, <laughs> like, to, to the man's face was like, you know, do you want to end up like him? No. You need to stay in school and go to – and it, it was so insulting. And you're like, I hope you never have anything break at your house, lady, because uh, uh, sorry. <laughs> hope you can fix that yourself. You know, you didn't want to be like me when you grow up. So, yeah, good luck figuring out how to rewire that three way switch. And and that's and that's, again, not not denigrating or, or disrespecting white collar jobs, but yeah. But the double standard and and what we were originally talking about. Full circle back to okay, real quick on the nursing. So you'll your heart, your and this is because we're experts. It's full circle on purpose because we're experts, not exactly not because it's random and it happened to intersect. <laughs> nope, nope. It, 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 it intersected for a reason. <laughs> we yeah, we totally meant to bring this full circle because that's how life goes, right? That's right. We're a couple of experts. We know that it was, <laughs> it's been crafted from the moment we hit record. We knew exactly how this is going to play out. Precisely. This was the plan the entire time because we talked earlier about this and totally, totally agree. For like five minutes before we descended into something else. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, so you're hard pressed to find. So it used to be that you would start off in janitorial or some kind of menial remedial job in the hospital, show an interest, build a reputation for yourself, get taken on and do your nursing on hand, getting paid no different than a trade job, essentially, <clears throat> and, yeah. and learning as you go and getting your getting your certifications and everything through the hospital because and then then they know that you can handle it because now what we've seen is the corporatization of um, hospitals and everything. Um, they, they started because you have poorer areas. So the hospitals weren't so good in certain areas. Like my, my dad in Wisconsin, um, they, people would travel for miles to, for emergency purposes to like, to like Madison or Eau Claire. Mm-hmm. And, and people would travel for like 90 miles to go there instead of their local hospital because it was a poor, it was a poor county. It was rural northern Wisconsin or rural central Wisconsin. And unfortunately, the farmers and stuff, sometimes it wasn't so great. You, you, you had a lousy summer, you had a lousy crop, you had a lousy yield, which means you didn't have a lot of leftover to pour into the community. So then when people started corporatizing on this, these corporations, these larger um, groups, medical groups would then come in, buy these hospitals, take them over. But with that, with that, well, we can't have, we, we have to have nurses that have a college education behind them. And, and the problem is, is that to this day, the nursing programs at colleges Basically, who you start the nursing program with is who, if you are the class of 2024, that who you start with is who you're graduating with. They don't really add new people in unless unless you've already started the nurse, nursing program at a different um, at a different university or a different college, and you and you moved for whatever reason, and and your your credits transfer. <clears throat> but other than that. That's rare. 
and that's rare because they only have X amount of seats. X amount of seats. Oh, okay. And everybody's so driven to actually make it, they all ride all the way through this, the, the program. Well, they all have the drive and want. I have a real thing against Grey's Anatomy, Scrubs, and any medical show because, because they all have the drive. There's this new one that's starting on like CBS or, or some major, major uh, media channel yeah, at least funny <clears throat> but everybody thinks but with modern society they think that that is how the medical industry really is that you'll get into these shenanigans you you have these shenanigans oh Grey's, gotcha. yep gray's anatomy you'll find the hot doctor as a nurse and you'll You'll get married or you'll have an illicit affair. Like they, they honestly, I don't know how many people I went to Carrington College where we, you know, you have to do that whole introduce yourself and why you want to do this. Literally, I'd say 60% of the class, their main motivation for getting into the medical field was because of some popular show, some popular. And at that time it was Scrubs and Grey's Anatomy. <laughs> and that was their main motivation and money. And of course, nurses make, if you specialize in everything and you take it on to nursing and you get on on a hospital, you'll make money. Problem is, is that a lot of people um, can't handle changing bedpans and it's not glamorous and it's not funny like that. Yes, you do get the gallows humor. Like we call it noxious. Um, we, every facility I ever worked at, we called it knock shift when you worked overnight. And for a few of us, we're like, why isn't it for myself? I had kind of had that moment where I'm like, why is it not called the graveyard shift? And they're like, graveyard. When do most of our residents pass? Do, 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 oh. oh light went off and it was like okay knock shift it is nocturnal got it yep mm-hmm. yep because because the moment you say graveyard about around a bunch of elderly folks <laughs> well it's time to go work the graveyard shift <laughs> what i'm sorry who died was it betty down the hall yeah. no i can't nope Mm-mm. can't nope no no we're talking Never mind. Never mind. It's fine. It's yeah. here. Besides, you're supposed to hit that switch <laughs> on the wall and everybody scrambled, right? <laughs> yeah. Golden Girls, here you go. So, and, and they're actually finding that um, in the nursing program, you'll start with like 500 people, right? At the, at the beginning of the four-year journey. By the time you actually graduate, you might graduate with 150 people. Because once you hit clinical classwork, fine, fine. Everybody can do classwork. They go straight from high school to college and they can do the classwork, no problem. When they get to their clinical and yep, real life strikes and you have that first resident that you lose. In fact, most most, um, hospitals and medical institutions in Washington state now almost require you to work six months in hospice care, end of life hospice care, just so 
So that way you get a feel for death. Just get it over with now. Yep. Um, that's well, that's, that's everywhere too, for as far as like, um, um, as far as the practicals, right. Where you come from the schooling and you try to bridge that gap between the school and the practical, um, you know, they, they think in administratively this, this weird overarching bureaucratic logic says, you know, Oh, we need standardized schooling and standardized tests to make sure you know what you're doing. And then you come out of the classwork and then you get to where the rubber meets the road and you're like, Oh, I wasted all of that time having a guy tell me stuff I didn't fully understand. And five minutes now, and I will never forget how to do this. Yes. Uh, it's, I mean, you can sit there and read in a book how to terminate a receptacle and twist, you know, put a wire nut on all that. But like, until you actually tie in your first box and see the light come on, you don't know it. Yeah. Um, and then once you do it, you're just like, oh, all of the universe is revealed because you can just look around and you start seeing things through the lens of your skill set. Um, like as a, as a doctor, you know, I know I've got a friend, his mom is a nurse, uh, was a nurse, was a nurse. Currently she runs some like uh, end of uh, like hospice houses or um, um, no, she has like in-home care stuff. That's what she does. She has like in-home care and, um, and some hospice houses. And, uh, but like he, he said, growing up, it was, you know, it was nurse mom. It was, it was, um, it, even though she wasn't, she wouldn't work as a nurse. She was diagnosing things or this is what that problem is, or here's the medication we need for whatever, yeah. um, before they would ever like get towards a, a hospital visit. And uh, I got electrician brain now where I, I see things, I go into Walmart and immediately I, I look at the ceiling and I'm like, where did those main runs come from? Oh, what are those pipes? Oh, that. Oh, it hits the junction box. So their panels must be up to the front there. Um, you just you start dissecting like, oh, how is the power ran? How do they run those lights? Yep. Oh, there's the whip that's feeding this uh, cash register. Oh, and you can see the data bundle under there. I wonder where their IT room is. Oh, I can see the ladder rat or the basket tray go that way. Um, you just, you get to like read reality through your, your experience though. Cause I wouldn't have that from a book. I have that from having handled, you know, put pipes on top of panels and, and pulled wires and, um, you know, fired it all up. Exactly. In practical experience, you can't, no amount of teaching and no amount of book learning will ever truly beat out practical firsthand experience. Yeah. And even in office work, because I've got some friends that and talking about what they do for a living. Um, you can you can uh, know how the job is done, but being in this office, um, because you're sitting in such close proximity with people all day, um, you know, every cough or sneeze, everybody hears it all the time. The the drama is, is actually a real dynamic and how work gets done and can get yep. done. Um, so you in order for you to file taxes or whatever, um, you know, whatever your, your office job is. You um, you have to know the people in the room, know how they work, know the way they like certain forms filled out or the way like to in order to keep cohesion and actually progress uh, towards a goal, you know, or sales or whatever the the, the things are, however, the HR and the sales interact with, the you know, the the, the accounting um, in order to have that smoothly, you have to know how everybody works together. You have to know what kind of software you're using for the the fourth quarter reports or the sales numbers reports because uh, everybody has their own software like those are little things that you can hear about until you're in that office with those people 
using that software, you go, oh, we never use this feature because Bob just likes to click one of these and then upload that other file type. Yep. Okay. And we all just do it that way. Yeah. Um, yep. And it's, yeah, it's stuff that you have to learn with your hands. You can't just hear about it. You gotta, you gotta just be there and do it. Yep. When I was a box office manager, wow, I've worked with quite a number of odd jobs, but when I was a box office manager for. Those are always the best kind of people. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, Oh gosh, jack of all, a, a Jill of all trades, if you will, in my instance, but a master of none. Yeah. So, but working as a box office manager, um, when when it came time to audit, it was for a nonprofit um, music um, festival up in uh, Little Sleepy Quilting. Really awesome. Um, the guy who ran it was amazing. It's the Olympic Music Festival, and um, um, and it was great. It was it was chamber music in an old nineteenth um, century milking barn. <laughs> so, That's awesome, right? Oh, the the history of the of the property is amazing too. Kind of sad, very sad, but but really amazing at the same time. And, cool. and he did his best to honor that history as well because because it was it. It was a farm owned by a Japanese immigrant family. And then World War II, they got sent to the internment camps here in the U.S. And then didn't get to return to their property because it was already sold. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And he actually had. Gotta love the Democrats. Gotta love the Democrats. Good job, FDR. Good job. Made owning gold illegal. Put American citizens in camps. Yep. And is, yeah, but still a historical figure instead of having been overthrown. So now three, three terms, by the way, he got three terms as as president. Yeah. That's, that's cool. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But, but like the software that we used, um, not, not many other people use it. Like you said, there's different software and stuff until you actually use it. So, so even though I can put that on my resume, it's still just one of those things where it's like, I'm still going to have to learn your system because it is going to be a hundred percent different from this. I, I can promise you that. And depending on how comprehensive it is too, every, it, it could be even the same stuff, but the way that they use it, they use a couple of the different features yeah. in a different way or will shortcut something, or they didn't get the deluxe package or they did get the deluxe package and they love the, whatever thingamabob does the way it uploads. Of, yeah. We're, who's it? Yeah. So I mean, office lingo, I'm, I'm an electrician for a reason, everybody. <laughs> right. And I, and I'm, I, I was a correctional officer now down to right at the moment. Um, freelance podcaster slash freelance writer. So, yay. Nice. Yeah. yeah. I'm uh, that's a weird place of overlap that we were both corrections officers for a right? while. I, I do miss the ability to just end an argument with pepper spray. <laughs> I, I no longer have that as a resource I, yeah. and I have to, I have to resolve things civilly, but it used to just be like, all right, well now you have to put cuffs on. I don't want to <laughs> stop or I'll spray Spicy air. Spicy air. Do do I really yeah. have to spice the air myself spicy. too? Because I don't like breathing this in. Right. And that's that's another thing too. Oh my gosh, you use combat salsa. 
It's not a dance. Uh, no. It, so it is it is kind of a dance where then you have to wrestle an angry alligator, the equivalent of yeah. that is on fire, and you yourself might have you yourself are definitely going to be on fire as well. There there's like no avoiding it. You Yeah, you just gotta blink through it. You gotta strobe and uh short breath. Yeah, the couple of times the couple of times I had to, I was fortunate enough to be behind the dude. Um, so yeah, it's, it's one hand on the shoulder, uh, the other hand on the opposite side wrist, and then just take a big step back and just lay him on the floor. Yeah, just oh man, or when you're in the line of fire and it's just like, and I see the spicy air coming, I'm stepping to the side, and then we're going in for okay, here we go, <laughs> and. There you go. Season, season to taste and then tenderize yeah. it. And you yourself are probably going to get seasoned and a little tenderized yourself. And it's just, I love how. I gave him a verbal warning and then deployed my oleo resin capsicum spray. And then I, uh, I uh, grabbed him and I, I placed my hand on his left shoulder and I assisted him to the floor, at which point I applied cuffs with the assistance of officer so-and-so it's been a while but uh the the muscle memory the the mental memory is still right there. <laughs> oh my gosh the reports and i don't think i don't think people realize yeah. we nobody wants to actually deploy the spicy air really truly because the everybody gets it everybody gets yeah. it it's like party favors you brought some for everybody oh, yeah. uh especially because the fight kicked off and you're like okay here we're we're doing it. All right, ten ten forty nine. Uh, it whatever you know, uh, three house B wing, yep. and uh, stop or I'll spray. And then you light them up, and then you're like, oh, they're not going to stop. And so you put it away. Right as Officer Joe Bob shows up, and he says, stop or I'll spray. <laughs> Lights them up, and he starts to put it away. And then you're like, well, now we're going to have to we're going to have to actually do something here. <laughs> and then as you both start to do something, that officer, you know, Larry shows up, and he's like, stop or I'll spray. <laughs> And it just like the three students. Oh my gosh! And that yeah, county jail is a little different. County jail is a little different. Um, but yeah, no, it's it's. But again, more often than not, it's like close quarters, like in the drunk tank or in a cell. Like, please, ooh, ooh. yeah, county please. counties where all the fight had. That's where they fight the officers. I was in the I was in the state. Um, they were they were doing time. They had uh, thirteen years or less. And so they were just fighting each other because they would bet on the Super Bowl and uh, the guy would lose. And then he either would check in or wouldn't want to check in. Then he'd get in a fist yep. fight. Yeah. Not, or, or they wouldn't have like the commissary to pay up. And yeah. It's just... yeah. I, what men would do for ramen noodles is, is unspeakable. But that's life Socks. for some yeah. people. Socks are a phone call. Like I tell you what, like, man, it's, it's, it's interesting. And, and honestly, um, at the county jail, what they really do, because they're still innocent until proven guilty, they, they are actually very nice to us. Not when they first come in and they're high as a kite or drunk as a skunk. No. Yeah, yeah it's early, early day or the pecking order for the guys that know they're going to be there a yeah. while. Uh, they're sorting out the pecking order, fight everybody. Yep. Yeah. All, at least in where I was at in Missouri, the, the guys coming to us from the county were just like, yeah, it was nothing but fights at the county or they'd have previous write-ups. So they would come to us still in ADSEG and then have to 
a few days of ad seg to work through or whatever before they can get back out on the yep. from just like county fights and stuff. Yeah, and then as soon as they get to as soon as they get to state, um, as soon as they go DOC here is what we call it. Um, then they tend to kind of simmer down a little bit. So county, county yep. is where you either put on a really good face to get a lighter sentence or get off completely. So you want to be as nice as possible and not get as many write-ups. But if you can't help it and it's unavoidable and you do end up doing big time DOC, you want to make sure that it's big. It's big. It's that reputation yeah. follows you. It's amazing. Yeah, you got to make it name. And people, yeah. unless you work it. Because it's high school. Like I, as soon as I had been there for about a month, I was like, this is high school. <laughs> They live in high school forever, but adults with adult stakes, that's a nightmare. And it's it's a lot of, um, in county, what it is, is it's just a lot of like, some of you can actually make it. You just, people, places, things, people, places, and things, man. Like, it's not just the addiction to the substance. It's the, they can kick the substance, but it's the addiction to the people that they hang out with. And the addiction to the life. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, and the addiction to the lifestyle minus minus right. the substance. Whatever that they have to run. Even the even the choices too. One of the guys, um, he was doing time and uh, I don't know, we had him in ads ad seg for some some dumb reason. Uh, and he was talking about like, yeah, man, as soon as I get out, go right back to selling meth. You've never had so much money unless you're selling meth, man. There's no no job compares. Nothing you can do that's going to make. And they, you know, and we were just like, what? <laughs> what? How, how can you still think like that? What is? <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> this is the kind of person, apparently. And, and that isn't a vast, it is not a vast majority of them, but but it is. No. But it is really just, yeah, you, you, like right now, I tell my kids all the time, um, especially my oldest, like <laughs> when he calls me rude and disrespectful and I'm like, okay, wait, wait, you actually, it's a really weird concept. You get more freedom when you follow all the rules, you get freedom. But the moment you break those rules, you know that you're going to lose freedom. Exactly. And it's just, I can give you more freedom when I know I can trust you. When you break that trust, I got to, I got to lock down, yeah. buddy. And it's, it's only because I just, I want to try and help you be successful. And, but you have to know that there are consequences. So yeah, no, yep. it's a really interesting concept, but so. Surprise. Any so decide and, and weird rabbit trail. <laughs> I've, um, that's fine. That's that's the entire point of your podcast, right? It's weird. It is. Things. It totally is. Random, odd discussions that just, I mean, they're not odd and, and they're, they turn into anecdotal and random, but yes, random topics. Let's. Is it a continuity kind of? Yeah. It's where we talk about anything and everything. It's, yeah. Yeah. It's, we're getting on like an hour and a half. That's awesome. right. Like this is, this is definitely whenever I have a co-host, these are definitely my longest episodes and I do not, I fair warning. I do not actually um, edit them down. They just get posted raw, live, real. You nice. 
Nice. I thought maybe like what's what's the usual runtime? Like 20, 30 minutes uh, an hour? Between 35 to 45 minutes is is a typical solo yeah. episode. That's a good solo rant. It's a good solo rant. That was that's about where yeah. I run. Occasionally I've had like the hour, hour twenty rants because I'm going through like a book of the Bible. A good chunk of my my stuff on um oh, well YouTube, where, wherever the podcasts are at. I, I go through, um, I've, I've dropped off of like the book of Ruth, but my goal is to go through every book of the Bible and give just like a primer on it. And uh, some books take a little longer than other to hit. Um, basically I do an overview of the content of the book. And then I do kind of a flyover of some of the big issues that people like to argue about in the book, you know, or something that's an interesting, you know, here are some of the interesting rabbit trails to kind of follow if you're going to do research outside of the Bible on, you know, the, the history of this book or, Here's the verses or passages people like to fight over just so you know ahead of time. These are the the difficult spots. Yep. Here's where uh, people and so sometimes sometimes it takes more than about an hour to rant it out. Yeah. But like I, I plan on doing an episode on my favorite book, Ecclesiastes, because even though yeah. it's actually one of the shorter books in there, I mean it's I guess average. I don't know. It it, it seems shorter than a lot of the others. Well, it's, it's packaged right next to Psalms, which is insane, yes. and Proverbs, which is eh, average to to the longer side of average. Proverbs, Proverbs is like on the longer side of average a little bit, um, but it that's because it spends the first nine chapters saying "Don't fornicate, stupid," and it it, it feels longer than yeah. This. But Ecclesiastes, you get to chapter ten or eleven, and you're like, "I get it, prostitutes bad." Please talk about something else. Please, I think of you. Okay, here we go. How to raise up your children, how to do, okay, yes. And how to be an optimistically good person. Yay. All right. I love it. You're like, dude, there's a Beatles song in here. Who put this in here? What? And then you get, but I love Ecclesiastes. It's like, in that one, that one I can see. Overview, fly over, and then deep diving into that one. That one's like, there are so many amazing nuggets. Well, it on its like when you actually read it too. A lot of people say it's the most yeah. depressing, but you you got to understand it's it's essentially a manual for philosophy in the it Bible. Is. And what he's doing is he's working you through from a worldly framework, philosoph- a philosophical outlook, and he's like, yeah, what it, all of this is moot because you're going to yeah. die. Oh, you're rich. That's awesome. So is the poor guy. You're both going to yeah, die. It's all- oh, well, but I've got all this power and yeah, but you're going to die. Oh, but I'm very smart. Yeah, but you're going to yeah. die. And so he basically shows that everything is meaningless, which is exactly what we've seen from atheism is the only rational end is I don't I don't care if you disagree yep. you're wrong. And it's it's going to play out either in your life or the lives of other people around you. You're just going to choose to stay ignorant or stop asking why. Um, but it it's going to end in nihilism. And that's he, he walks you through Ecclesiastes and he says, so then the only point is to serve God and enjoy the world that he's given us to live in. Um, and then the New Testament adds a deeper meaning of that, where you use your experience in this world to further your relationship with God. He uses the, the world around you to teach you about himself because uh, he already knows everything about you, but you're learning about him and you're learning about yourself and you're, you're building that relationship through the course of your life. And then, you know, why not have fun? Um, 
you know, within reason. Just enjoy it. Don't be stupid. Just relax. Yeah, I mean, it's all going to work out. Yeah, it's like it's it's like the um, author of Ecclesiastes did like this yeah. lifelong thought experiment. It basically just went, hey, you know what? I'm going to go out there. I am going to party it up. I and then I'm also going to then work studiously and build up my wealth and build up this and then go live dirt poor and travel and everything. And here are my meandering thoughts after here's my reflection. And it also just, and it does, and it does build that framework and it totally levels it and it gets you thinking like that. That's the whole point is to just put everything on its head and spin your thought process and change it. It's awesome. It's really, it is, it is, it is. and it's, it, uh, um, I think one of the best ways I've heard it say, said is that, yeah, it's like depressing, or it's considered one of the most depressing, but it's basically, um, if you have nothing at your center, so basically have God at your center, because if you have nothing at your center, you're, you're just going to have, you're he like a donut with like, a void. Like he mentions God never, as creator. But he doesn't mention any sort of um, what we do with or towards God until the very end. It's just like, yeah, he made me all of the vain nope. days that God has put man on the earth. Yep. Um, he mentions it in passing here and there. One of my favorite verses is actually Ecclesiastes 9, 9. Uh, Enjoy the wife of your youth, uh, for this is the, the, your reward in uh, all of your vain life. Or um, something like that, Robert's paraphrase. And, uh, but it's, it's basically like, it's all pointless because you're going <laughs> to yeah. die, but the, the things that you do have learn to enjoy them, uh, because God gave them to you as a reward, but let's, it's at the end where he's mm-hmm. like, so the last verse is the punchline. He's like, yeah, get, get with the program guys to follow God, do what he says. And everybody just relax. Yeah. <laughs> Just, just breathe. It'll be fine. Or you're okay? gonna die. It's fine. You're the gonna sun die anyway. rises. Every everybody has everybody and everything has that in common. There, there's yeah. I love it. I, it's just again, and that's why. Yeah, that's why I want to do so a deep dive there. on it because it is just such and 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 the and the one thing that I find sad. The one thing that I find terrifically tragic is that a lot of it's, it's um, one of the three wisdoms. It's, it's one of the three wisdom books of the Old Testament. Proverbs, um, Ecclesiastes, and Job are technically considered the three books of wisdom. Um, but, I, but I find it sad because when you do get into some of these discourses that can sometimes get a little heated, um, nobody references Ecclesiastes because it's like there, but there's so much there that you can, and it's just it's like, guys, you don't have to get super preachy, just Ecclesiastes. <laughs> and it's funny when you say that to even other Christians, they kind of look at you and and they're like, what? And kind of going back to the the original topic, um that started this whole thing, the, the blue collar blind spot and within the church and everything. Just, it's amazing. The blind spots that well, we have. 
well, yeah, the, with, um, amongst ourselves, the, the work as well. aspects in Ecclesiastes is is powerful because he says that's you know that's what's what's our our goal is to just delight yourself in the work God's given you to do in all the days of your vain life. Um, enjoy whatever work you're doing. So much of the mm-hmm. the world's opinion. Uh, not only that suits are better than boots, but that your work is a drudge, you know, oh, Mondays. Um, you, Monday, well, the, yeah. God, God gave <laughs> us work and it's weekend. a good thing. Um, we're actually, I, I would argue our purpose in life is yeah. work. Um, th- there's a caveat and obviously it's the, the, the result of that work is uh a deeper relationship with God and, and we, we worship God in that. But uh, the only time it uses the word to, as far as yeah. when, when God is referring to man, Genesis two fifteen, he put the man in the garden to work and protect. It says cultivate and keep it, which is in, insufferably soft yep. language. Um, but the, the actual word is work in Hebrew. And then the other <laughs> word is to protect. Um, and I don't know of any man whose heart doesn't sing at those two words. Um, you watch any action movie and it's a hardworking guy who protects the innocent. That's every action movie ever. Um, that's what men are hardwired by God to do is to work and to protect. And it's through doing those things we exhibit and get to kind of this little window into how God feels and how God operates as this great worker who built the earth for us. And who protects us. And, and we get to take a part in that then by working for our families, protecting them. Um, and that's a way in which we reflect God's image. And it's, it's just awesome. But when you're doing that, then it, you, you get this sense of meaning and satisfaction. That's why a lot of people, that's why there's so much literature around, um, you know, work and purpose and, you know, coaching and stuff. Nobody hires a, a career coach for a construction site. Mm-hmm. You, you, you there's so much no. meaning in just digging a hole no. or building stuff with your hands. It's amazing, but it's so hard to see the results of your labor when you do computer work all day, when you do sit at a desk, not that they don't accomplish real work, but it's so abstract. They're not able to concretely hold it. So they don't feel as strongly yeah. that like, like a, a stonemason when he's done, unless a wrecking ball hits those concrete blocks over it, that'll be there for a hundred years. Um, if, if you work at the right part of DC, yeah, I mean, you can I've, take out wiring that was uh, there from the 1910s, 1920s, easily electrical devices and wiring that had been installed for a hundred years now. Um, it's, it's crazy. Yeah. Well, and I like, and I like, um, sewing and, and dressmaking, um, and tailoring and I, I have a 100-year-old Edwardian walking skirt that is still right. It's still wearable. Oh my gosh, I love, I love her. Oh, even even mending in the dust ruffle, where you can tell the original owner had probably torn, like caught her heel in it and tore through it. The the buttonhole is hand stitched. It's a it's a homemade doesn't have a label. It was so, a homemade walking skirt. I don't know what a dust ruffle is. All the original it sounds things. hilarious. Dust ruffle. <laughs> it's 
Yes. So like, so like the Edwardian style, they started going more sleek, but they still had like the feminine ruffle oh, okay, along okay, okay. the um, hem the, of the okay. skirt. Okay, nice. That's yep. good. And so, and it was, it was to feminize it. And um, this is an early, oh, this is probably cool. like, if I, if I had she probably like 1905. Night between 1905 oh, yeah, to like 
So I would do all this farm work, all this hard work that you could actually see. Like uh, we had horses. I was helping um, raise and train so cool. Arab yep, race right. horses. You mentioned that before um, we were talking. That's a few right. of my friends. Yep. And, and I also um, was, I also got into um, rescuing and breaking wild mustangs and then turning them into trail horses and every, well, just turning, turning them into like a desirable nice. horse that's already pre-trained and good to go. And, and so yeah, just training them down and, and tempering them. Um, which by the way, Mustangs, you, Mustangs and Arabs, um, a lot of equestrians, there's, there's like two, two, two types of equestrians out there. You, you either love Arabs are like tattoos. You either love them or you hate them and you never, you had one and you're never going to get another one again, or you love it. And you're just, that is, that is the horse because, and Mustangs are kind of the same way because, no, they, they are, are a one like person really horse. high energy too they right they're like, they're like having a high maintenance big dog where they just have to run yes they they have a job they they just have their 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 high maintenance they're considered high maintenance because they've got energy for days they have stamina for days and they're kind of neurotic <laughs> and then mustangs typically um when you get, when you adopt a wild Mustang, you have to understand they're a wild horse and they've never, this is their first time. And, and humans actually smell like predators and they're a prey animal. Their prey, you smell like a predator. And it's because, especially it's because of um, our own pheromones that we give off because of our, our body composition. Even if you're a vegan, you still give off that predator indicator that they pick up on because they've got better nostrils and scent receptors than we do so <laughs> so like so then building that trust with them and I love working with animals and stuff because at the end of the day when you when you get that click moment where you you've spent like months weeks days months hours trying to get that horse to finally just take the apple out of your hand, not even just pet it or, or even get a saddle up on it, but just you spend that time. I, I promise you like the first week or two, all I did whenever we would get, whenever I would get a new Mustang was just go out into the field and just go about my normal day and kind of ignore them. Let them, yeah, let them do their thing and get used to my presence. They, uh, they start to figure it out. Yeah, I, and when and when the other horses start coming up to you and they start getting like sugar cubes, and then they when you take that horse for a ride, and then you you reward them with with a grain goodie, they start getting curious. Like, wait, what's this? Ooh, that smells good. Ooh, ooh, that tastes good. Yeah. Especially rolled oats and molasses. Not only are you not going to eat me, it brings this? food. Okay, I maybe you're used to this. Yeah, I can. This is a pretty sweet gig. Um, no, I don't know if I want you, you on my got, back. I, I'm not. You got legs, mm, if that's what you want to call them. I'd have to rethink it. There's a cool, um, there's a, what is it? There's a yeah. cool YouTube channel. It's called Modern History. If you just, just search Modern History Knights, 
Um, he's got a whole series he does. He's got a war horse, and he goes through what it takes to train, like the different steps in training the war horse to joust at stuff. Um, he's got a got a couple of like bales and barrels. Oh set my gosh! Up and, yeah. um, whatever that target swinging thing is, I forget the name for it right now. But uh, um, he he talks you through the steps as he's like kind of walk, you know, walking through the barrels with uh, with it. He's like he's just wanted to get used to it, and he starts just tapping it a little, little lightly while he's holding the lance and. Um, kind of working in stages to get it used to being able to charge it stuff when yeah. he beats it with a stick as he rides by. It's pretty cool. And and also um, them to where um, this is almost this almost has to be inherent in the horse that you can then tap into to train for the desirable effect. It's like training a cat. If a cat doesn't want to jump, you're not going to teach a cat you're not going to train a cat to jump. The cat has to naturally like jumping, which is why when it comes to like movies, they'll have like six different cats that look very similar. But if you watch closely, you'll notice that it's not the same cat because they have a a cat, an orange cat that likes to jump. And then an orange cat that likes to chase things and an orange cat that likes to climb things. But it's very rare that, so with horses, when you're training them, particularly for a war horse because a very well true medieval or true olden time war horse would not leave if, if their rider got knocked from them in movies it really bothers me oh they gotta they gotta stand right they, 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 they stop, stop moving. moving they turn around and they will actually rear up and try to trample they'll they'll actually try to protect their their human counterpart Oh, cool. Yep. I didn't know that. Yep. There was, um, there was a horse at, um, for the wild horse race at one of the rodeos that I went to. And, and this horse was a headhunter. And when I say a headhunter, I mean, this horse was slated to be put down after this horse, after this wild horse race in particular, because the first time the wild horse race is dangerous as is, Right. You're taking wild horses and then you've got, you've got a two man team. One person puts on like the whole point is the horses not tacked up in any way, shape or form. And so you've got one guy that is supposed to tack up the horse, put in the bit and get the head stall on. And then you've got the rider who then has to basically um, bull ride that buck and bronc. And so this horse was like, he was the king of the ring. And he actually was, um, he was the head of a harem. He was an older stallion that had been gathered in one of the roundups. And, and because he had a lot of fight in him, they loved, they, they, he would put on a show in the wild horse race. He was about eight, nine years old. So he was a, a seasoned stallion that had held on to his harem for many, many years. <clears throat> he had scars. He was just, he was horrific looking. He had scars from battles, from other studs trying, other stallions trying to take his harem and him reigning and him still reigning supreme. He was like super muscular, really gorgeous, flea bitten gray. And 
And the reason why he was a headhunter was um, one of the first rounds of the wild horse race on one day, he bucked off the, the, the rider and trampled, turned around and trampled him to death like they would a cougar. Oh, now, at first, whoa. it's like, okay, that happens. It, oh, it sucks and it's not great, but maybe. And then they used him again at another rodeo for the same thing. He had killed three riders. And I mean, <laughs> me being me was just like him. Don't kill him. Here's the money. Just take it. Him. And they're like, beard. I can never ride him. I will tell you that right now. I could never, ever, ever ride him. I just basically was like, buddy, you're going to go out into the pasture and you are just going to, you're going to do your thing. He was there to protect the herd and do his job because we had cougars and bears and coyotes that would come through. Primarily the cougars and the bobcats and the coyotes. Those, those were the real, and he was good at his job. I tell you what, he eventually got used to my presence out in the field. And as long as you gave, as long as you respected his space, there's towards the end of his life, he only lived to be about 25 because domesticated life just, it's not the same. It's just really not the same. <clears throat> but towards the end of it, he would eventually come up to where I could brush him and I could touch him, but only for, it was very much like you had to, you had to be really cued into his body language. When those muscles started twitching, it's like, and we're done. And you know, nope, I'm going to take this apple yeah. and I'm going to huck it and I'm just going to sidestep. So that way I'm nowhere near your feet. Because if you decide to turn around and cow punch me, I'm a goner. So, no. But that makes perfect sense. I never thought about their ability to knock riders off because, yeah, that's mm -hmm. how cougars they attack horses. So, of course, like, that's, their, that's their primary skill is get this thing off my back and then turn around yeah. and stop it. I mean, it one, one of the riders. And we're like, yeah. I'm going to ride well, it. Like, one of the riders, oh my gosh, the second rider, he reared, he was bucking, he was bucking, he was bucking. This guy had amazing, he had an amazing seat. He had amazing balance. And he, this, this horse just couldn't throw him. So what he, he reared up and threw himself on his back and, and basically Oh, he fell yes, straight over that is, backwards. That is their last-ditch effort. Horses will do that in the wild as a last-ditch effort because they can get hurt in the process, but it's a risk they're willing to take because they can – you have to think, like, 900 to 1,200 pounds just straight with the force yeah. of going straight back because when they um, – about 14-3, if a horse is about 14-3 hands – that makes them about um, five from hoof to, to the top of their wither. I believe it's about five, five, three. They're five foot three inches tall. Four, and 14, three oh. is when they're considered horse height. Anything below that is considered pony height. And there is a difference between ponies and miniature horses because it's bone structure. But either way, Oh, it's it's yeah, anatomy, yeah. <laughs> um, but either way, 
so he was so he was um i believe 15 15.2 hands so he was about like so tall for uh, a horse it, or is that is that tall or is that, that like the, high, that's side like the high side of average so oh, so he okay. was about um he was about like maybe five six five seven hoof to wither and that's just from the bottom of their hoof up to the top of their shoulder so imagine imagine back legs when they rear they rear up to about eight ten feet and then they just throw themselves backwards oh yeah because they're about they're about four and a half maybe five feet from like butt to shoulder right I don't know the fancy horse. Yeah, hoof to things, wither. But... Yep. Yep. Bottom of No, from oh. like from their tails, from the tail to the, the front of their chest is like I don't know, yeah. probably four yep. or five feet. Yep. Somewhere. So yeah, so when he when he stands up then, yeah, that rider's easily six feet, seven feet yep. in the air at least. Maybe and then and then you've got this. And yep. then a horse lands trust, on you. Trust me, I've been I've been thrown by a horse where, unfortunately, he fell too. He didn't mean to. My, my, my last Mustang boy was like very, very, very gentle spirit. Didn't want to hurt you at all. And unfortunately, he got spooked by a squirrel. And we were on a hill. We were on a steep hill. And he had a Bambi moment where he jumped. And it threw my seat. And I was going off to the left. And he was turning to run to the right, but then last second, he changed his mind, came and quickly whipped around to the left, his back legs. As I hit the ground, he turned, his back legs skidded out and because he threw his balance on the hill and, and he, his back legs went out and his shoulder came crashing down full weight on my chest. How I didn't break any ribs. Ooh. Yeah, how how I didn't break any ribs and didn't die, and then we rolled, and it probably looked like a horrible train wreck because I saw his hoof. I saw at least two, twice. I saw hooves coming at my head, and I just was like tuck and roll, tuck and roll, and and yeah, I was tangled up in his hoof when we rolled about five feet down this embankment, and and then when he was trying to stand up, he was doing everything he could to not step on me but at this point i was like okay i'm i'm done i'm just laying here do do your thing i'm not gonna tell you until you get up and unfortunately he trampled my left leg and it was pretty it was almost left it i almost lost my left leg from the knee down because of compartment syndrome fun fun fact my leg is still swollen in every pregnancy when they do that when they try to Make sure you don't have preeclampsia. So they check the swelling in your legs. Couldn't work on me at all. I was like, it's good luck. It's not going to happen because I had a very traumatic injury that is still, you can still see the bruise of his hoof. And this happened, this happened 11 oh, years wow. ago. <laughs> so to this, day, oh yeah, to this day, my left leg is, um, at least one to two sizes um, swole up constant. That's, that's insane. I didn't know that that kind of oh, injury existed. It's super fun. 
Horses, man. And Horses. he was actually more, I, as soon as I got clearance to ride three months after that incident, I was ready and rearing to go. And he was more psychologically damaged from that than I was. He was just very much like he, he was about four years old, green broke. And, and after that, he was like, uh, nope, I don't, he would get barn sour and he would want to turn tail and run. He did not leave my side. Um, after I came off of him, he did not leave my side. If you have made it to the end of this episode, amazing, amazing. I will have to think of like some kind of reward system, <laughs> like definite shout outs. My people, you are amazing and wonderful and fantastic. And if you can't tell, it cut us off mid midway through and there is a part two. So I apologize that I've been inconsistent with my posting. But uh, when I do come, when I take a long break and I do come back, woo! Do, is, is it a comeback with, hey, let's try and, let's just have a great conversation with, with a friend who is, who is the husband of one of my really, really good friends from high school um, that I'm very, very fond of. Um, <laughs> yeah, let's just have a random discussion and uh, see where it leads. And yeah, it cut off midway through. So there is a part two and that is shortly coming. So these are kind of coming up like, yeah, and I I haven't edited them at all. I just they're too great to not have in their raw great glory. So I want to say you are very appreciated and and again um definitely definitely follow, definitely research and and check it out anything and everything that has been brought up that caught your interest. It is fantastic and amazing. And so, um, apologize about some of the background noise that goes on my household, even when the kids are supposed to be asleep, gets really active and I just don't know how to sit still. So yes, but hope that doesn't take away. And I'm gonna say goodbye for now and gonna put up that second part that is about an hour and 15 minutes extra or add like yeah finishing so awesome conversations and again little corner of the internet where displaced underdogs random and displaced discussions do happen and occur hope you all enjoy and I hope you guys listen to the second part as well. Because again, amazing human beings, if you have made it to this point. You are fantastic. You are amazing. So much love and so much appreciation. Like, thank you guys. Thank you.
So, with that being said, I'm going to go put up the second part now. Bye. For like maybe 30 minutes. Until then. Bye.